There we are. Okay, well, today is a great Sunday, of course, because it is um, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, my team, the Patriots, are in. Hallelujah. Go, Brady, go. Oh, I heard that. I'm sorry about that. Okay, I shouldn't have done that. But the truth is, my friends, it is a great Sunday because we have the opportunity of introducing a brand new series that's going to take eight weeks, and it's all about vintage faith. Um, the portion of scripture that we'll be following for the next eight weeks is actually the first nine verses of Peter's second book. And ultimately, today is just really a launch point to discuss the other seven virtues that follow our faith that we become more like Christ, such as goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Each one of those points will be dealt with individually every week going forward. But today, we want to speak about the foundation of all those things. None of those things are going to matter if we don't lock in and understand what our faith is all about. But before we do that, we just need to have a little bit of a case study, a little bit of history of why Second Peter actually even exists at all. What was the motivation behind it? Second Peter was written in 65 AD by, guess who, Peter... But Peter at this time was imprisoned by the Emperor Nero, and he could sense that his time was coming, that he was going to soon be executed. And he was motivated to write this letter in part to fight back a really strange teaching, which stated that, well, since Christ hasn't come back now in 40-some years or whatever it is, maybe he's not going to come back at all. And as a result of that, it kind of encouraged everyone to kind of go into lawlessness and move away from godliness, because after all, Jesus missed the train coming back for his church, so now it's a freebie. Paul now refutes these teachings and urges the believers to continue in the enduring hope that they have in Christ's return, urging them to live a purified life of virtues reflecting the love of God. In a way, it's all about vintage faith. Our whole series is about vintage faith. So, what on earth is vintage all about anyways? We might as well try to understand that. So, the first thing we know when we think about vintage is that vintage is a function of time. Vintage is a function of time. Okay, you can have antiques and antique furniture or clothing. That's 100 years old. You can have a classic car. That's between 20 and 50 years old, but vintage is between 50 and 100 years old. It's a function of time. Ultimately, vintage proves itself, proves itself over time. It's an acquired title. The second point about vintage is, is that it possesses unprecedented quality. Now, I'm not the one to say I know a lot about it, but vintage wines... To call something a vintage wine is the year when a distinctly superior wine is produced. It's so distinct, apparently, by those who have trained palates that they can actually tell the year of that wine just by its taste alone because it's superior in its depth, its qualities. You understand what I'm saying. Vintage is all about being the best. Function of time and the best. 
But these are kind of shallow illustrations of what vintage really is. For us to get deep into vintage, to really understand that, we need a picture. And I'd like to present this picture to you right now. Okay, it's not the best picture. It was a rainy day. There's a little bit of mud on it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's pretty cool. Some of you are thinking, hey, that's a really cool old car. That's incorrect. That's incorrect. What it really, really, really is, I love it, it is a beautiful, brand new, nearly brand new, award-winning, fully restored 1967 Austin Healey. It's British. It's convertible, 140 horsepower. It's vintage. It's not an old car. My father-in-law, he doesn't leave anybody drive that car. Okay, it just doesn't happen. But by some strange miracle every once in a while, he comes up to me and asks me to do him a favor and says, Harv, can you help me take the Healy to the next car meet? Can you drive it for me? Okay, of course. Before you know it, I'm sitting in the seat, the seatbelt is on, and I'm just racing my hands across that skinny steering wheel, and I'm just feeling the 60s, man. It's groovy, okay? Fire it up, more roars to life. Foot on the clutch, take off the handbrake, shift in the first, put on the gas, let out the clutch. You're not driving, you're flying. Okay, can you picture this? The top is down, sunglasses are on, sun on your face, wind in your hair. It's cool, right? What can be possibly better? It's perfect, right? Wrong. It's not. Because before you know it, you start driving, you start feeling a little insecure. You know that song, I got this feeling somebody's watching me? Everybody's watching you. It's the neighbors watering the plants, driving down the road. The cars are coming right at you. They honk their horns at the last second. They startle you. You look at them. They wave at you. You instinctively wave back. And you realize you've never seen them in your life. And it happens again and again and again. It's cars passing you, doing the same thing. You stop at a set of lights. People are standing on the sidewalk trying to talk to you. What's going on? Nobody ever does that with my truck. It's weird. There was one distinct moment that I want to share with you that I think really actually captures what we're talking about, because we're really not talking about a car, no, are we? Again, it was a family vehicle passing me, an SUV. Parents are waving at me. No big deal. But it was the kids in the back seat. None of them were over the age of 10. I'm sure of it. But it was this little girl. I'll never forget it. She must have been about six years old waving frantically at me with a smile as big as a red apple, missing one, teeth, one tooth, can you see it? Just this beautiful child. That car made that child's day. She had no understanding or appreciation of cars at all, but somehow looking at that car did something to that child. What is it? Picture in your mind right now, invisibly, use your imagination, a large intersection with streetlights all around and there's no cars around. Now, half a block away, brand new car comes out of a car dealership. It's the maiden voyage of the owner coming out of the dealership. And it comes up to that set of lights, the first set of lights that he's encountered with his new car. That car, to him, is two minutes old. It's a luxury, brand new car. Now the Healy comes up beside it. I'm telling you right now, 
if you're in that intersection and you're looking at both of those cars, it won't take long until your eyes will gravitate to the Healy and it will stay there. Why is that? Is it because the one car is cleaner than the other? No, they're both ex exquisitely clean. One's factory clean, one is meticulously clean. Looks the same, right? How about the paint job? The brand new car has got a brand new factory paint job and it's got metallic paint. He paid a premium for it just to get that little extra spark in the paint. Looks good, right? But the Healy has got three coats of primer, seven coats of custom paint, and on top of that, another four coats of clear coating on top of it. The color is richer, deeper, luscious. It looks somehow strangely newer than the new car. The new car is a new car, but the Healy, it's a paradox. The new car just rolled off the assembly line, but the Healy was rescued from the scrap heap. The new car was built in eight hours and 17 minutes, but the Healy was stripped down to its frame, sandblasted by hand, and took three years to rebuild. The new car is identified by a VIN number. The other one is identified by the trophies it's won. It's different. The new car, this is the part I like, has just depreciated 15% in 15 minutes. As soon as you take that brand new car off the lot, boom, 15% of it, gone. If you don't believe me, ask your accountant. They'll tell you the unhappy news. The Healy is worth 30 times more than the day it was first purchased. The one is a liability. The other one is an appreciating investment. The one only makes the owner happy. The other one makes everybody else happy. The other one is just a dime a dozen. It's expensive, but who cares? This one is vintage. It's an original. It will capture your eyes. There's something special about it because it's vintage. Am I talking about a car now? No, I'm not. Our next picture, quickly, I love this picture. It's actually kind of personal. It's me, Laura, and the Healy. And the only thing that's gotten older in the picture is me, okay? It's cool. When I think about that car, it means something to me personally too because it reminds me emblematically of this photo. I remember that moment. It was 30 degrees outside. We finally got outside. We were sitting in the car. The photographer was bugging us right there at that moment. I just wanted to shift and get going with my new bride. And my brother is just coming around the corner saying, hey, I can't start the other car. I said, you're the mechanic. You figure it out. I'm going. We'll see you in the pictures in 20 minutes. It was the, one of the, ha it was the happiest day of my life. And that car symbolizes it. I made a mistake this week by talking to Laura about this message and talking about this picture. And I said to her, you know what? Your dad's car reminds me of you. It didn't work. <laughs> I just didn't say it right, that's all. But that car means something to me. It really does. It shares a picture frame that I have on my desk that includes a picture of my parents, a, um, what do you call that again, an obituary of my father, and all sorts of pictures of the kids at different stages and pictures of Laura and this inanimate object 
because you know what? That thing has impressed itself on me. It has fused itself to me over the process of time. It has become personally valuable to me. That is the power of vintage. Moving to our next slide, it helps us just to see that just a little bit better. Vintage cars exist only because someone intentionally cared about it. Actually went out of their way to bring it from death back to life. Am I talking about cars? Is that not so? How the Lord has approached us? Who has formed us with his own hands? Has rescued us from the scrap heap of our own sin and death? has forged for us a new and eternal and indestructible future. Had it not come at great cost to him, but his own sacrifice on the cross for us. Are we not infinitely valuable in his sight? And we receive that gift through faith, which makes the faith itself precious. I believe this is the heart behind why Peter even writes this letter in the very first place. He gets it on the eve of his execution, who by, I guess, by some accounts, refused to be crucified in upright position, but inverted himself at his own request to be crucified upside down because he didn't think himself worthy to die the same way as his Lord. And even on the eve of that, he comes out, on full charge, on positive motors, with the everlasting, enduring triumph of the common, invisible, and invincible gospel message of hope that you and I have. And let's read the first verse for us. Our entire text this morning will be the first four verses, but we're going to take it in small chunks. So verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Two points to make on it. We already made the first one. Real faith is precious. It's personal. It is enduring. It's of the best quality. There's nothing you have more valuable in your life than the hope you have in Christ. Now, we already laid the tracks on that one, but point number two, we haven't. Listen, Faith is received. You don't earn it. We actually receive it. And this is actually the very heart of the message. If we don't get this one down right, I have failed. But we're not going to fail. There's a Holy Spirit here, amen? It's the mechanics that we want to talk about and how we receive this faith. And to understand that, I have to call on the help of Ray Charles. Now, that is a cool picture. I like the actually, actually entitlement of it. It actually says forever. Strangely enough, that fits very aptly to our message here today. As you know, Ray Charles was a singer, songwriter, musician, and composer. He mastered all types of contemporary musical genre, R&B, soul, blues, gospel, country, gospel, and of course, rock and roll. Interesting that the insiders in the industry that knew him well actually had an affectionate nickname for him. You know what it was? They called him the genius. Why? Because he could do it all and better. 
That's why he had millions of followers. His name became a household name, and even the U.S. Post Office liked him enough that they actually made a stamp in his honor. And he did all of that without able to see even a glimmer of light through his eyes. He was completely blind. In his life story, put into a movie called Ray just a couple of years ago, it depicts his entire life where he is born in poverty in a ruler community. At the age of five, his vision starts to go, and by seven, he is completely blind. And there's a scene in that movie where he actually walks into the house at the age of seven, stumbles in, hits some furniture, falls flat on his face. And he's hurt, and he's crying, and he's afraid, and he's had it. He can't take it anymore. He begins to scream out, Mama, Mama, help me, Mama, help me. And the whole time, he didn't even realize that his mother is only about five feet away from him. He couldn't see her. Her mother instinctively reaches down to grab him, but she pulls back, somehow in sensing that by helping him, she's not helping him. So in silence, she just gazes at her son while he torments himself on the ground, crying and broken. It's, Mama, Mama, help me. And she, in agony, did the right thing and did nothing. He continued to cry, and he continued to cry until finally he hears this melodic sound. It's a bell that was around the family cow's neck. And he looks, turns his head to the outside, and then he just stops. They do this scene just so perfectly. Then he all of a sudden kind of gets up to his knees, wipes the tears from his eyes, and you can see the motor running in his, running behind those dark eyes. And all of a sudden he looks to the left, and he hears the kettle. He locates the stove. Then he stands up, walks up to the fireplace and runs his hand along the hearth because of the crackling fire below it. Then he looks outside the window in his blindness and hears a carriage coming before you can actually see it yourself. And this is when it starts getting really cool. He's concentrating and he gets this funny little smirk on his face and he kind of just steps forward a couple of times, gets on his hands and knees and crawls gently to a cricket that he could hear moving on the floor and picks it up. And while it's cheering, he's listening to it, and he's got all of this confidence in his eyes. And with his blind eyes, he looks at his mother and says, I can hear you, Mama. You're right there in front of me. The mother, of course, breaks down and cries because she sees her son go from weakness to strength, from being helpless to commanding his environment. And at the same time, while that boy is on the floor, it was the beginning of his career. Listen to what Ray Charles says later on in life. This is important. He said to people often, I hear like you see. I hear like you see. When it comes to vintage faith, like the kind of hearing that Ray had, we have to understand that precious faith is blind. It's blind. But it sure can hear. What are we talking about? Your eyes, your faith does not trust. Because what you see in front of you isn't going to last. It's not the ultimate reality. The chairs, this building, me, you, your children, your great-grand, your grandchildren who are not yet born will have come and gone. 100 years from now, most likely. 
what we see around us is temporal. It doesn't have eternal value. So with everything else, the value systems that we have about having more or looking a certain way or it's all about me, you know the whole thing is a smokescreen and the heart of faith does not trust that. It looks blindly through it to something better. Do you hear what we're saying? Of course, the only way we can receive that it's not through our eyes or our hands, but through our ability to listen. Am I just saying that on my own? No. Our next slide gives us all the authority to say exactly what we've just said. Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Also, Hebrews 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. That means I can't come to faith by reading the Bible and using my eyes. Or worse yet, how about someone who's completely deaf? Does that mean that the Scriptures have discriminated with its eternal hope just simply because of one's ability to hear? Are we actually talking about our physical hearing? No, when we receive faith, what we're really doing is taking in knowledge, information, whether it's through your eyes or your ears or even through braille, through touch, sm smiling, uh, touch, taste, whatever you want to call it. I don't, it doesn't matter how you take it in, but you've got to take it in through hearing, touching, or seeing. What we're talking about here is not a hearing that is physical in itself. It's the hearing that you can only do with your heart, as if your ears are inside your heart. You have to listen for it for yourself. You can hear the same message a thousand times, read the same thing a hundred times, and it means nothing. And then all of a sudden, by the power of God, you hear it for the very first time. Because it's something different now. You're not just hearing a message. You're listening to it for yourself. You're not seeing or reading a scripture. You're actually perceiving the meaning and how it applies to you yourself. It's not just intellectual understanding anymore. It's not theology. It's something different. You've accepted it and it has become real. And now you're into relationship. You receive Faith through hearing from the heart and absorbing it for yourself. Otherwise, you're just playing church, man. That sounds boring. And we're not called to a life of boring, are we? Amen? Not at all. I love the testimonies we heard last week of people stood out in faith and just trusted God just for their finances. And their lives have been rocked in a positive way because they've actually taking God as, at his word, and stepped out on their own there and said, I'm just going to trust that. And that can be duplicated over and over and over again. And most importantly, when we receive Christ into our life. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. See that? That is a personal connection. So real faith, listening faith, is important. 
vintage faith is not just faith in itself. Have you ever run into people when you talk to them and you get into a discussion of, you know, talking about their beliefs? They go, oh, well, yes, I believe. I believe. Oh, I just, you know, I just believe. Well, well, what do you believe? They actually don't know what they're believing. They just sort of believe in, in uh, believing, ultimately. That's what it comes down to. And it's just where they are. There's nothing to be condescending or mocking. It's just it hasn't been fought through. And there's a difference there. And if you stay in that position, all you are is just being spiritual or mystical. I like to call that Peter Pan faith. Okay? How many of you like Peter Pan? I sure hope I'm not the only person here. Our kids and me, we've watched them all. Okay? Now, there's one particular rendition of Peter Pan that I love that just hits the mark here for us. Peter Pan doesn't really like Tinkerbell in this particular rendition of it. And Tinkerbell is always trying to get his favor. And he's just always taking her for granted. But wouldn't you know it, something fatally happens to Tinkerbell. And the only way Peter can help her is by believing that she exists. I know that sounds weird, but just stay with me for a moment, okay? This is where it gets really good. So he's going to help Tink. So he starts saying, Tink, I believe in fairies. Nothing's happening. Tink is sinking, starting to go flatline. He's got to dig a little deeper. I believe in fairies. I do. I do. I do. Nothing happens. So he gets more desperate, and the tears start coming. He starts screaming at the top of his lungs, I believe in fairies. I do, I do, I do. And wouldn't you know it, it worked. She came back. Isn't that marvelous how that works? Faith doesn't work that way. Not the real stuff. Not the vintage stuff. You can't conjure it up. You can't whip it up. You can't make it happen like a loaf of bread or something like that on a whim. It doesn't work that way. Real vintage faith is rooted in knowledge of God and his finished work for us. It sees the truth through the ears, something the eyes can't perceive. It sees that God loves us and it's backed up by personal experiences as we trust him and we begin to know that we know that we know that he is good all the time. Even in the good or bad times. Vintage faith is built on the truth and knowledge. And as a result, it's got sticking power. And it's a foundation from everything else we're going to speak about in the next weeks to come. Next verse, we're going to go through it now in the second chunk. Second Peter, verses 1, 2 to 3. Grace and peace to you. Oh, sorry. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Do you realize right now, if you're struggling with stuff in your life, you're waiting for God to do something, it's here right now. Do you understand that? There's nothing more you have to do. you got everything you need right now. Everything. There's nothing really more God has to do. you got problems with addictions. you got sexual appetites that are running you awry. You're dealing with depression, anxiety, and fear. Gambling issues. you got problems with anger and bitterness. Envy and jealousy. 
You've been listening to the pride of life that keeps on telling you it's all about your car and about your job and how you look and this and that. You want to get past all that? I want to tell you something you already have in Christ. Amen? Listen. Whatever binds, slows, interrupts, cuts off, distracts, disrupts, sidelines, blindsides, takes captive, takes hostage, kills your faith and your pursuit of Christ, all of it has been cured, all of it's been freed, all of it's been conquered, all of it's been destroyed in Jesus' name. Okay? Right now, God has given you everything right now to build your life on godly character. All that is left for you to do is act. Now picture this. You've been given a house to build. You have all the wood and all the materials on site or it's waiting just nearby. All the equipment's there. You've been given the land. All the permits have been pulled. You've got the plot plan. You've got all the paperwork lined up. And all the trades are lining up already, all nicely for you to come into play. And your bank account is swollen with money. So that when those guys are done, you pay them on the spot, and they will love you forever. So the next time you need something, you get on the phone, you go, hey, I need you tomorrow. No, I'm busy all week. Are you going to pay me right away? Yeah, of course. Okay, I'll be there tomorrow. That's how it works. You got it all. Everything is yours. All you have to do is bag your lunch, pick up your cell phone, make a couple calls, put on your pouch, load it with nails, and go. It is up to you to take all of that material and all that capacity and put it together. All you need to have is the motive and the will to move forward. Faith is not dead. It's full of action. Amen? It doesn't keep us in a state of boring. It doesn't keep us in a state of defeat. It keeps on taking ground. That's what real faith does. Pastor Morrow's notes to me about this message was this key phrase, you can live this life. And he is accurate about that. We can live it. We've got it all. In fact, it says in James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. But we're not dead. Amen? We can take ground because it's all been done for us. Don't let things and the lies that things are defeating you overtake you. It's not the truth. The scriptures tell us you've got it all right now. Just let that come in personally. That blind faith, let it just come in and hear it for yourself. It will change you supernaturally by the power of God. It's not me talking. It's the power of God working in us that is that indestructible truth. Amen? Next slide. Final verse. Peter, verse 1 and 4. Through these he has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Basically, Verse 4 is echoing what we've already heard in verse 3. We have everything we need to escape the corruption of this life through the grace of God. Realize that when we draw closer to Christ and become more like Him, it doesn't make us more of a God, not at all, but we begin to reflect His love and His grace more translucently, more fluidly through our lives into others. Our ability to forgive 
replaces bitterness. We become self-sacrificing instead of greedy. It just sort of happens naturally. You start loving instead of hating. You start helping instead of hurting. You start caring instead of apathy. And on and on it goes. The Bible calls that fruit, actually, a Christ-centered life. Listen to these words. Real faith, eternally indestructible vintage faith is never useless, deaf, dead, or in a state of decay. It is a living, fruit-bearing quality. Real faith shows itself in our personal life. It's taken from the book Hiding in Plain Sight by Bookman. In conclusion now, we basically have just done basic. This whole message has just been a big teaser for the whole series, okay? Give it to you really fast. We'll be digesting this slowly over the next couple weeks. But just for this morning, though, we just want to just stress two things. Vintage faith is not earned or conjured. It is received as you hear it in your heart for yourself. I hear like you see. Christ's disciples got it. They asked Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, please do increase our faith. He has given it to us freely. Let's embrace that. Secondly, faith has fruit to bear. Faith alone can give us, take us to heaven, but its purpose between now and then is to bring birth something new in us that makes a difference here in this life. Really, when it comes down to it, our walk with Christ is like any other relationship. It's dynamic. It's real. It's vibrant. And when it's in our hearts, it's not church anymore. It's not a religious thing, and it's not mysticism. I can take Christ with me wherever I go. Here and in you. That is the vintage faith that we've been called to that we have received because we believe it for ourselves. Because we're not looking at the same way as everyone else does. We're looking to something better. A country of our own. Yes, we're Canadian citizens, but our real citizenship is in heaven. Amen? That's where home is. And you live in that expectation and that hope and that drive, and in some strange kind of way, it makes you more practical, more down-to-earth, and more relevant to everybody else in your life. So it's not just you smiling. You make other people smile. Because you know why? Because you care for them. Because you love them. Because you treat them as Christ wants us to treat them. Because he first loved us, we can love him and others back. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together in your house. And Lord, for those who are struggling right now with some form of addiction or some kind of weight on them, it might even be fear. Lord, we just pray that they can claim and know the truth that they are set free in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that that wonderful gospel message you have given us, the hope that you have, will really sink in. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to a life of victory. And Lord, for those who have maybe just only heard this gospel message for the first time or have heard about the love of God or, or have been contemplating it for a while, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that they'll grab in and lock into that and, Lord, commit themselves to you and go on a journey that is precious 
as we walk in a living and dynamic real relationship with the living king of the universe. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.